listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. decided to do was since we were in the book of Ephesians, uh, we moved past what Paul had instructed the Ephesian believers. He was reminding them who they are and what they have and what their responsibility, uh, what their responsibilities are as children of God, as folks who have been brought into the body by faith alone in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, being a part of the family of God, he's changed in chapter number four to begin to to call them to certain actions. Now, since you are a follower of Jesus, since you are in the family, not in order to be a part of the family, but since you are a member of the family of God by faith in Jesus, since you are in Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells you, now I'm calling you to a lifestyle that is reflective of who you are in the family. So when, when we get to Ephesians chapter 4 through 6, he's speaking to believers about how they ought to be living because they're followers of Jesus. And unfortunately, sometimes we get to these chapters and and people hear that that is what is required of people in order to be a follower of Jesus. And that's not the case at all. In fact, you can't be these things unless by faith you have been set free from sin, unless you have been empowered and are being equipped by the Holy Spirit. You can't effectively do these things. But those of us who are, those of us who are followers of Jesus, then we can hear God saying to us, these are the things that I want you to be considering and living out as you do life waiting for the return of Jesus as you're going about making disciples. So when we got to chapter number five, in the first two verses, he calls us to walk in love. And that simply means to live our life based and fueled by love. He had just previously talked about the love of God, which is forgiving. It is kind and it is compassionate to others. And then he speaks of the love of Jesus Christ that is sacrificial. And he calls us to imitate God in our life, pursue, strive to imitate God in your life by your love forgiving and being kind and compassionate and sacrificing yourself for the betterment of others. This love that seeks the highest good of others. Now, we know he's going to talk about how that husbands and wives and children and all that, how we're to exercise love and seeking the highest good. But immediately when he says that I want you to imitate God by the way that you love, let your, let your uh, life in Christ be seen in the way you love, He turns in verse number 3 of chapter 5, and he starts talking about things that could crop up in our life from who we once were that maybe the world thinks is love, but in fact are just big counterfeits. And so that's where we pick up. We we took that section and we said, you know, we're not going to deal with that while the kids are in big church because... Some of the subject matter that he's talking about in the realm of counterfeit love might not be the best thing for you to go home having to explain what Pastor Kevin was talking about that you've not talked about with your children. So I'm going on the assumption that if you're in here today, moms and dads, you're ready for that conversation. So here we go, and she'll never know what in the world I'm talking about. So that's okay. So we're going to jump in, keeping in mind that Paul has called us to live our life demonstrated by our love. But now there are some counterfeit love ideas. Verse number three, chapter five, book of Ephesians. It says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let's just start right there. So he's called us to love that is forgiving and kind and compassionate and sacrificial, seeking the best for the one being loved. And now he says, but don't let any of these things which don't seek the good of others, 
They, in fact, seek the good of me. But it's not really my good. It's my self-lust. The things that are resident still within me, I have to be careful that I don't allow these into my life. And Paul says, these shouldn't even be named among you. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. Sexual immorality, what does that mean? It's the word pornea. Now, if you know anything about our world in which we're living, you probably have an idea of of where we got a particular English word from the Greek word pornea. I'm going to let that kind of just roll around in your mind for a second. Sexual immorality, pornea, is any sexual expression, physical, emotional, mental, that is outside of legitimate marriage between one man and one woman. Now, I want to go ahead and, and just preface this, especially since this is going out over the internet. I know that this will not be popular in the world in which we're living. And I know that this might not even be popular within the realm of folks who call themselves Christians. And here's what I got to say. I'm sorry you're upset if you are, but I'm not apologizing because this is what God's Word says. God has laid out for mankind the idea of connection between humanity through marriage that involves the sexual identity of what God has built within us. He designed that, not just for procreation, but for the good of those that are in that marriage relationship. There's not a thing wrong with the sexual relationship that happens within married couples. Unfortunately, so many of us, however, have heard so many sermons about the dangers of sex outside of marriage, and, and, and we've been uh, under this, this where you can't even say, in fact, some of you might even be uncomfortable with the amount of times I've said sexual this morning. And we've just been kind of raised in that prudish environment where maybe even there are some Christians who struggle in this area because they've just got in their mind that all of the sexual relationship has a dirtiness to it. I'm so sorry that you were mistaught because that's not at all how God intended. In fact, God made that for humanity for their good. And it's not just for their good in isolation. It's for their good because it demonstrates the nature of true intimacy. And it doesn't, get, it doesn't have to get weird. Because we're broken and we're, you know, we're twisted in our thinking, it gets weird when we say that's an aspect that God wants us to realize how intimate he desires that relationship with us. Now, don't let that get weird. What he's saying is is that's the kind of intimacy, fully vulnerable and fully open and fully okay and and, and there in that month. That's the kind of connection God wants. But sin broke that. But we still have the, the picture of it within the context of marriage. Now, anything outside of that, if it's sexual expression in a premarital context, then it's not okay. It's contrary to God's design. It's not something that God looks at and sees like, oh, that's like a third tier, uh, seven degree punishment sin and, and telling a white lie. Well, that's a pink, you know, a half a degree. It doesn't work like that. But here's how it does work. God knows that when we step into this arena, it's not going to be for our good. And so time and time again, God is commanding us to remain like on our own side of the truck, you know, the truck seat, if you will. Let's just, you know, because it's for our good and it's for our blessing. So anything outside of marriage before is not okay. Anything outside of marriage 
when marriage is intact is not okay. That's specifically called adultery. So anything that's outside of the, of the, of the marriage between one man and one woman, you'd say, Pastor Kevin, are you trying to be like code in saying that two women and two men are not a legitimate marriage? No, I'm not trying to use code. It's just black and white. God never designed women to marry and, and be in an intimate relationship with women. Look, y'all, it don't work. The biology ain't there. It's not God's design. Neither is it for men with men. You say, yeah, but Pastor Kevin, but if you love one, you can't love one another in a context that God never designed to be that way. Now, again, if that upsets you, I need you to understand what I'm not saying is that God doesn't like people who engage in that type of sin or that somehow the church should be like anti-people. No, look, all people are broken. Do I think that sexual sin in all of its context is sin? Yes. Is God displeased with that? Yes. Kevin, is that something that you're doing? No. But, but do you have sin in your life? Yes. Is God just as displeased with your sin as he is with theirs? Yes. So I'm not, I'm not walking in some kind of holiness outside of, of others who are doing worse sins than me. But I need you to understand, our culture is saying things that God said are not okay, are saying it's okay. And unfortunately, the church is starting to say it's okay too. We got to be we got to be bold with truth. And then we've got to hold to that truth even when we're painted in a way that is not true. Well, Kevin, to say that, you, that that is sin is to not love. That is incorrect. I tell my boys all the time, that's wrong and that is not okay in my house. Don't do that again and it has absolutely nothing to do with how much I love them my love for them is intact even when their behavior is beyond the scope of the rules that makes sense okay so Paul says look don't even let sexual immorality be named among you so well why would he say that I'm gonna tell you why because many of these believers in Ephesus had come from the, the religions of the day, most specifically the worship of Artemis, of which there was the, the, the big temple in the city, which is one of the, one of the uh, seven ancient wonders of the world. This pagan worship even involved sexual activity in worship. You, that, that blows our mind. You're like, what? Yes, it actually was involved. And so many of these people had come out of that religion to follow Jesus. And Paul is just reminding them what I'm sure that he had told them before. And that was, hey, that's not how you worship Jesus. In fact, he's got some guidelines for this because he wants you to experience sexuality like he intended it and not how it's been perverted because of sin. So don't do that anymore. He's reminding them that ought not to be even named among you. But church, let me ask you a question. Is that the reality in our world? No, it's not. Sexual immorality without marriage or outside of marriage, is running rampant in the church. How many, how many folks standing at a table or a pulpit or whatever it is, that, how many have we heard in just the last year who've had to step down from roles of ministry because of this sin? And Paul's like, don't even let that be named among you. Listen, people, we've got to be honest about the fact that this is a big deal. You can't say it's not a big deal because it's happening and we see it's happening and we've got to be aware of it. We've got to hear what God is saying. Don't let that even be named among you. 
I said it's, it's both physical and it's, and it's emotional and it's mental. Let, let me just hit the highlights, if we will. We know what physical is. We've, we've already expressed that. What about emotional immorality? Emotional immorality is the inappropriate connection or communication between individuals who are not available for each other. Where it's most seen is in the workplace. In the workplace. And you even hear this, and it's laughed about, and it's, it's comical. You hear folks say, well, she's my work wife, or he's my work husband. What they're saying is, is that when I'm at work, she kind of keeps me in line. She tells me, now nah, you're, you're starting to look dumb. And so she keeps it. And you know what? When I'm at work, he protects me from all those that are trying to take him. He's my work wife or she's my work wife. He's my work husband. You know what that is? That's wrong. You should not. Ha- look, if you have a work wife, you need to confess that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to confess that is sin. And you need to go back and you need to tell those coworkers um, that was wrong and, and, and that was emotional adultery. You go, but I ain't done that. Well, look, Jesus said if you've committed adultery in your heart, then you've already committed. You don't have to commit the act. It's about the heart. And let me tell you, if you're looking for that emotional connection at work from somebody that's not your spouse, that is emotional immorality. It needs to be confessed to sin. It needs to be gotten rid of. It don't have to happen at work. You know where else it can happen? The, the social pages. You know, Facebook's awesome. We've been able to find all kinds of people that we haven't seen in years, and really we didn't like back then, but now all of a sudden they're our friends. We're liking all their stuff. We didn't even like them 20 years ago. But we're communicating. And, and you know what can happen? We can strike up a conversation with just somebody I just knew in high school. Yeah, we went out a couple of hundred times. And, but that's, you know, that's in the past. And, and, you know, I'm just, hey, how you doing? Well, my spouse is, you know, they're leaving. Oh, I'm so sorry. Man, that's terrible. You're a good, great person. They shouldn't be. And then the next thing you know, you've created this emotional connection. Look, Christian, it's not innocent. Maybe you don't mean anything by it, but you know what you got to do? Stop. Because that's emotional immorality. You are making a, a deep connection that is sparking air. Look, you wouldn't be doing it if dopamine wasn't flashing in your mind. That little dangerous thing that causes you, you know, uh, oh, that was exciting. I was glad. And then the next thing I know, I can't wait to get home to find out what you got to quit it because that's emotional immorality. You might not mean, and I'm not saying, look, just take it, chew it, swallow it. Physical, we got that. Quit it, confess it, it's sin, got to get beyond it. That's got to be out of your life. Emotional, quit it, confess it, even mental. So you're not communicating with anybody. You're You're not with anybody, but you know what you're connected to? You're connected to those seedy uh, uh, movie theaters on that side of town that you would never be caught in and that you would never go to because of where you'd be seeing it, but you can access that right now and look like you're just answering a text. But what we're doing is mentally we're allowing immorality. When I ask you, pornea, what does that kind of sound like? Pornography. You know what is riddling the Christian world right now? Pornography. I I heard a statistic. I pray that it's wrong. I heard a statistic that says over 45% of men in church regularly, weekly view pornography. Boy, I hope that that was just a made-up statistic to make the church look bad. But you know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid that that's true and possibly worse. Over 45% of men in church regularly viewing pornography. You say, well, they're just, they're just rotten. No, they're not. You know what they are? They're normal dudes that have a, a, a drive within them that's still broken by sin. And, 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 and access and ease of access has gripped them. 
many of which would love to set that thing down and, and walk away from it. But you know what? They can't because they're addicted to it. They got to have it. You know, the only thing, well, obviously, God Almighty is the only thing that can deliver them. But, but for, for many of them, the only thing that's going to get them deliverance is either they're getting caught or they're being bold enough to share with a trusted brother. I got a problem. Christ can provide deliverance, but look, the enemy knows how easy it is to be hooked. And look, guys, if that's you right now, like if you're hearing me and you're going, Kevin, folks would die if they knew that I was looking at pornography. Look, no, nobody's going to die. Will there be disappointment? Sure. But man, on the other side of disappointment, is there going to be hurt? Oh, yeah. It's going to hurt your spouse. Is it going to be rocky? Ro- oh, yeah, it's going to be rocky probably. But, but you, you know what's on the other side of all that immediately? Restoration with God. He's the one that you're most cross with right now because you're allowing things in your life that are not okay and are destructive and are going to keep destroying and leading into more and more, possibly even emotional, followed by physical. If you're one of them, if that's you, please, please, please tell us about it. I promise you, judgment's not what you get. But you'll get pointed to the cross where there is forgiveness and restoration, and we will walk with you. And we will walk with your spouse, and we will walk with your family, and we are not going to parade you around with any kind of scarlet letters, but we're going to gently but firmly and with confidence in our Savior's love, we're going to walk with you toward freedom so that on the other side of that, at some point in your life, maybe you'll be able to stand in front of a group of people and talk about the victory of God in this very dark part of your life. Do not keep going that direction. He says sexual immorality impurity, which is just a broader word for all kinds of uncleanness and covetousness, which is self-seeking, self-indulging. I see, I want, I covet. I can't get my mind and actions off until I have it. You think about David. What did he do? Wrong place, wrong time. Sees a woman bathing. Hey, who's that? That's not yours, David. Leave her alone. I'm the king. Bring her to me covetousness. Paul says that ought not be named among us. And we, we ought to be so hyper sensitive to those things in our life that we don't even want to have it around. He says, don't let that even be named because it's not proper. It's not proper for the saints. And then he goes on and he says, not only those acts, not only those root things, but look, Let there be, in verse number four, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. He says, it's it's not only about what you do, you you can not be doing it, but is that affecting your thought and your speech and your communication and your conversation? You say, well, I'm not having an affair. I'm not being sexually immoral, but but what was the last joke you told? What was the last story that you told? Was it about immorality? Did we get a big laugh about that? He says, look, don't even let it it have a, a, a grip on your heart, this idea of filthiness. It's behavior that flouts social and moral standards. It just, it's, it, it just tosses those things to the wind, and it just does. Hey, y'all, watch this. I don't care what the sign says. I don't care what the standard is. Y'all watch what I'm about to do. And it's that filthiness. It's constantly just going against the moral and social standards that are, that are, that are understood. This foolish talk, moralogia, it's where we get our word moron. This foolish talk is stupid talk. It's just, just, it's just this going on and on and, and just being, being an idiot, if you will. 
And this foolishness and filthiness that leads to what he calls crude joking. This is risque jesting or wit. It's double entendres. It's saying things that that could have an innocent meaning if a five-year-old said it. But when you say it, everybody knows that it has a double meaning. They know what you... And it's that crudeness. Okay, now... Let, let me just say, let me, let me say this. Within the marriage context, okay, with your spouse, say what you want. You know, joke how you want. Because that's perfectly, oh, you're one flat, you're, be silly, you know, be, it ain't crude with you because you're one. That's, that's your realm. But from everybody else, Paul's like, look, don't even let it come out of your... You're forgetting how contrary to love this is. Love is forgiving and kind and it's compassionate and it's sacrificing myself for your good. But all of these things look at you as an object, look at you as an opportunity to fulfill something for me. Don't even joke about it. Don't even laugh about it. Certainly don't carry on with these things. Verse number five says, for you may be sure of this. So he's making a strong point. He says, if if I've not made it clear enough, you can be sure of this. And and read in isolation, this could cause us to get, we we could go, wait, wait, wait. Now, what what does he say? Listen to what he says. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that's an idolater, You can be sure of this, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You're like, wait a minute. What did he just say? Well, he said, you can be sure that the sexually immoral and the impure and the covetous, that means the idolaters, have no part in the kingdom of God. That means they're not part of the family. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So are you saying that if you've ever committed an immoral act or if you've ever walked impurely or if you've ever coveted, you can't be saved? No, that's not what he's saying. But the idea here is what he says. You know this to be true. Those who are characterized by their immorality, their impurity, and their idolatry, you know those whose lives are characterized by that are not repentant believers in Jesus who've said no to themselves and yes to Christ and are following him. So basically what he's saying is when you allow these things in your life, you look like the folks that are outside the family. You know that those folks that are carrying on in that pagan prostitution down the street at the temple of Artemis, you know what they are, you know what they do, you know how they live their life, who their their allegiance is to, you know that those folks are not a part of the family. And their their life is characterized by these things that are consistently contrary to the holiness of God. You know they're not part of the family. Let no one, verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Listen, when I'm saying don't even let this be named in your midst, it's like you've forgotten that all of that is what you used to be. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses uh, 9 through 11, if if any of you have have studied the Scripture at all, you know that the church at Corinth, that we get the first and second letters of Corinthians, you know those churches were jacked up. I mean, they were doing things in that church. Paul's like, I can't believe I'm hearing about the things that are happening in the church. Are you kidding me? So it's possible it was happening even then. But listen to what he says. He says, do you, do you not remember, verse, verse 9 of chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality 
nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were some of you. What is Paul saying? It's not that if you have ever done these things, you don't qualify to be forgiven. Because some of y'all were doing those things. Some of you guys were a part of all of these. But what happened? What happened is they came in contact with the crucified and risen Jesus who through his death and resurrection had made a, a, a promise of forgiveness, of right standing with their creator. Look, what, 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 what your pagan gods will never be able to do to you no matter how, for you, no matter how you try, no matter what you do or pray or how you cut yourself or, or do these acts, they'll never be able to do. But yet this one who was put to death and got up from the grave said that he will forgive us if we will just simply bring all of our mess, all this stuff, right, and just lay it at his finger. God, I'm broken, but I believe Jesus is the fix. And what happens for those that receive Jesus by faith and faith alone? He forgives them. The, the sin that was theirs was placed on Christ on the cross. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus puts his righteousness on us. And basically says like he did in, I believe, John 8. Some of you might remember where's that. I think it's John 8 where, where the, the religious rulers brought this woman who was caught in the act. Was it John 8? Caught in the act of adultery. Brought her and dumped her. Like imagine a bunch of religious folks bringing a woman in a sheet naked underneath her and bringing her in and just throwing her right here in front of the crowd. That's what happened. And they said, the law says she should be stoned. And you know what? Jesus looked at her and said, well, if you've never committed sin, you cast the first stone. And one after the other, they dropped the stones and walked away. And, and this woman who's probably weeping, she's embarrassed. Her dignity is stripped. Jesus goes to her and says, woman, wh where are your accusers? And she looks around and she says, they're all gone. And Jesus says, I know. And, and I don't accuse you either. Go, sin no more. You know, you know, what, that, you know what that passage is about? It, it's not about God in the flesh going, hey, I'm okay. I'm okay with what you were doing. No. It's about she's in the presence of the one who was, she said, he hadn't died yet. Don't, don't forget what we've already learned. Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. The one who was crucified was looking at the sin that he was going to pay for. And I think he's telling her, all your accusers are gone, and the only one who's left, the only one who's even qualified to address your need is still here. And he's saying, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to redeem you. Now get up and walk away from that. Paul says, some, some of y'all were these things. But, verse 11 still up there, this is good. But you were washed. You were cleansed from that. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So all of those things should be a part of your past. All of those things should be who you once were because that ain't who you are. That's what he's saying to the Ephesian believers. Don't even let that be. Don't even joke about that because you all know that folks that are living that life demonstrate with their life that they're not following Jesus. They're not repent. They're not saved by his grace or he would be changing them. Not that they won't trip and fall. Not that they won't fall back into sin from time to time, but they're not even doing that. They're living in it. So you've got to get that out. And don't let them deceive you with empty words. There's a lot of folks that, that, that are, you, you're thinking, man, there's a lot of Christians I know living that life. I mean, they're living it to the full, but they're saying they're a follower of Jesus. Well, you, you know what we can't do? We can't look in their heart. You know, I can't right now see 
you know, Bill's sitting there, got a nice shirt on. I, I, I can't even see the muscle that's pumping his blood, more or less see the man that's in Bill. I only see what's outside. I can only take what he says. I can only hear what he tells me and, and, and identify what he's up. But I can't know his heart. So I don't know who is and isn't saved. I don't know who is and isn't redeemed. But I know what Paul says by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. Those that, are, those that are characterized, those whose lives are characterized by sin and uncleanness and debauchery, that's a fun word to say, and, and all kinds of, of immorality and impurity, it really doesn't matter what they say when they receive their award for the album of the year that was based in all of that stuff that they're living. Really, don't let them deceive you. You know that all of those things are ultimately going to receive the wrath of God if Jesus is not received before. So don't let that exist in your presence. Verse number 7, Therefore, do not be partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Don't be in agreement with those who are walking in darkness. Don't walk in darkness. Don't even let it be named among you. But here's the hard, this is a hard one. Don't walk with those who are walking in darkness. Here's what happens. You know Jesus is your Savior. Your buddy knows Jesus as, as his Savior. And you're rocking along, following Christ together. And then all of a sudden, they take a hard left turn. And I don't mean they just kind of fall off the wagon and get back. No, I mean they take a hard left turn and they go, I'm going this way. I'm going, and, and I, I don't care what you say, I'm going this way, but I'm still following Jesus. Look, you, you cannot follow two masters. And Paul is saying, look, you cannot be in agreement with those who are walking in darkness. So many times what we want to do is, well, I'll do me and you'll do you. Let's still be friends. Let's still go on vacation. I wish you wouldn't do that. Uh-uh. I got to follow Christ. I can't walk with you down that road. You know what that, you know what that reeks of in our mind and in our, in, our, in our thoughts? It's judgment. We go, I don't want to be judgmental. Look, I can't go north on I-75 and go south on I-75 at the same time, okay? It's just not possible. I'm not judging you for going south. I'm just saying that ain't the way I'm going. I'm going north. South won't get me where God's called me. So I got to go north. You go south if you want, but we can't go the same direction together. Does that, that does make sense, right? The dark is where you're from. The dark is what Christ rescued you from. That's not who you are anymore. You can't go that way. John chapter 8, verse number 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You can't be in agreement with those who are walking in darkness and be walking in the light. Jesus says, I'm the light. You follow me, you'll be walking in the light. As long as you're following me, you'll have the light on. But if you let go of me in order to try to be a quote-unquote good friend and walk with them in agreement in their darkness, you know what you're walking away from? The light. And who's the light? me he says so look guys don't even let it be named if it is you better address it because it's not going to lead you anywhere but destruction and pain and heartache get that addressed and don't even be in agreement with those who are walking in darkness and then he says second part of verse number eight walk as children of light Walk as children because you're in the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. 
Walk as children of light. Look, follow Jesus. Do what he did. Follow where he's going. You say, but if I follow where he's going, if I let go of the one that's been my friend forever, they're going to think I'm judging them. That I can't stop what they're thinking. I can tell them I love them. I can tell them I'm there for them. I can tell them I want them to know the, the, the freedom and the, and the opportunities that we have when we're in fellowship with Jesus, but I can't go with you in that direction. I've got to follow Jesus. I've got to walk in the light because it's the fruit that's being developed in the light. It's the, it's the, the lifestyle. It's the, 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 the things that come out as a result of me just following Jesus and putting all of my chips with him. That's what God is producing in my life. That's what we're to be following and expecting as the body. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Determine your choices and actions based on what is and isn't pleasing to the Lord. When you're walking in the light, you're able to go, hey, should I go there? No, I probably shouldn't go there because that, that's dark. I'm just having to get over in the dark. Hey, should I, should I hang out over there? Should I be a part of this? Should I throw my lot in with those that are over there? Doing that? Nah, that's, that's not in the light. That's more in the dark. That looks more like the way I used to be than who I am. I probably not need to be. Hey, I wonder if this, you know, we, we have this conversation a lot about uh, shows on TV that are appropriate and inappropriate. I wonder if I should walk that. Well, would you want Jesus to pull up a chair and watch with you? Like, well, he, as you're going through and you're trying to select which one of these I'm going to watch, if you figure to turn, say, Lord, would, would you want to watch this? What's he going to say? And you go, you're being silly. Am I? I'm going to be honest, I have the same problem. There are things that, that I like. There, are, there are, are, are scenarios, there are shows, there are genres of entertainment that I like. That if we'd be honest, and I said, Lord, would you like to watch this? He would probably go, you know. You know I don't. So we, as walking in the light, we're evaluating our choices we're evaluating our actions on the basis of what is and isn't pleasing to him. And then he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Well, of course, refuse to take part in the dark deeds of others. For it is shameful. Oh, I'm sorry. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We pursue righteousness by turning on the light of Christ to expose the works of darkness. And think about this. Uh, when I was in college, they had, uh, they had this uh, haunted house thing. It was a big deal. They would, go, they would call it a house of death. <laughs> and they, would, they would take you through all these scenarios of death, and it was gruesome. And at the end, then they'd preach the gospel to you. I was like, okay, that's a way. I don't, I don't know if that's the, you know, scare you to death. And then, hey, if you were to die today like that, do you want to know Jesus? I, the, probably not the best idea. But that's what they were doing. The, the motives were, were pure, I guess. But let me tell you, I go into that place, and it would open it up, and it'd be, you know, 9, 10 o'clock at night. You'd go in, and, I mean, it'd be dark, and then the strobe lights and the light on the person. It would scare you to death. I had a buddy of mine take me over there in the middle of the day. Okay. Well, when we go over in the middle of the day, and he was like, hold on, we'll go over. And he went over to the power box, and all the lights started coming on. And you're looking through there, and you're like, oh, okay, I see how, oh, I see how that works. Because the light exposes what the darkness hides. Here's what happened. You, you ready? You're not going to like this, and they're not either. The closer you walk to Jesus, the closer you are to the And then when others are around you, you, you know what they see? They, they see things for what they are. Pa Paul's not talking about us going around going, adulterer, pornographer. You know, he's not talking about that. He's talking about us being real and honest and reflective of our Savior. Able to come alongside and go, hey, man, um, that's not a good relationship for you to be in. I mean, as, as much as y'all's hands are on each other right now, I, I do this with student ministry. I come alongside to the guys. And I'm not saying this to the girls, but I come along those teenage boys, and I go, um, this ain't good. And they're like, what? And they always look at me like, what? <laughs> they know, but they're caught. Like, 
what? I go, that ain't good. What what, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, here's the thing. If you're willing to put your hands on her like that in front of me, what in the world are you doing when ain't nobody around? And they go, well, I don't. And I go, no, don't, don't even have to lie to me. I know what's going on when I ain't around and other folks ain't around. So what are we doing? We're not trying to, you know, ah, you no, we're trying to help folks see the darkness that they're walking in and the difficulty they're going to find themselves in if they don't change their course. Guess what, Christian? That's going to make folks mad. But it made folks mad when Jesus did the same thing and they ultimately killed him over it because he simply couldn't just let sin happen. Make sense? So if we follow Jesus and we stay next to the light, we're called to expose light. And and here's the thing. I'm challenging you because y'all know one another better than I know you. You know you in your small group. You know you in your families. You know you as your neighbors. Look, it's your responsibility if you are connected to the light to in love come alongside and turn on the light. For those that you love. So that's our, that's our call to action today. Turn on the light. All right? What is the light? The light's Jesus. And, and he even said in the verses that follow, Wake up, O sleeper, because the light of Christ will shine on you. Look, this, this, is, this is not the light of Christ is not the, the sheriff's deputy tapping on your window with the light shining and going, what, what, What's going on here? That's not Jesus. The light of Jesus Christ says, I know what's what's going on here. Let's address this. If if you'll submit this, if you'll surrender this, if you'll see it as I see it, I'll restore you. I'll make you whole. I'll, I'll take this mess and I'll reorient it and we'll use it for my glory, but you've got to you, you, you got to say no to this and goodbye to this and yes to me. And then I'll work you and I'll restore you. And you can follow me. we got to turn the light on. In your life, where does darkness exist? Where is the darkness in you right now? Is it in the show? Is, is it in the computer? Is it in the relationship? Is it in the connection that nobody knows about but you and him, you and her? Where is immorality? Where is the impurity? Where is the greed? Where is the filthy, foolish, crude speech? Christian, expose it. I know it's hard. But you got to expose it. you got to confess it, repent of it, remove it. Receive the forgiveness and seek restoration that is available. But start with exposure. Get it out. It's not going to get better. It's not going to work itself out. It's got to be dealt with. Turn on the light. With whom am I currently approving of or even supporting darkness? Think about your relationships. Who are you walking with in support and approval of actions that are just contrary? If, if, if they're not believers, I hope that you're walking with them as an agent of light. I hope that you're being friends with them, but them fully knowing that, that what their life is not okay as far as Christianity is. As, for a Christian, their life's not okay. But they know that you're walking with them because you love them and you're drawing them to Jesus. But otherwise, who are you supporting? Who are you approving? Expose it. Encourage their confession. Encourage their repentance. Encourage their removal and then walk them toward the forgiveness and restoration that's available. We've got a call to walk daily in the light of Christ Not in order to be his child, but because we are his children. If that's you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's got every right 
to call you to act like it. And that's exactly what he's done. And we have to decide whether we're going to respond or reject. So let's take a minute right now and decide with the light turned on what needs to be addressed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, even when your word is hard. And today, your word is hard. There's darkness in all of us. There's there's some kind of stuff that the light needs to turn on and expose. So I just pray that in the stillness of the moment, that we'll see it, we'll know it, Give your children the courage to just admit, God, this is in my life and it's not okay with you. I don't want to be right with you. I don't want fellowship to be broken. I want to be able to walk in freedom and excitement. I want to be able to, I want to be able to worship. I want to be able to, to be in your presence and not have this thing that I know is contrary to you. So I want, I want that to be exposed. I want to confess it. I want you to forgive me. Father, I pray that that will be the first step towards removal and restoration. Father, I pray that you will use us as your children, encourage us to walk in the light. That just means real close to Jesus. Some of us know we have a hard conversation to have with, with friends, relatives. I pray that you'll give us the courage to have that conversation in the tones that Jesus would communicate, from the motivation that Jesus would come from, that of love, seeking their greatest good. I pray that we will be reflective of your son and not the culture. I pray that we will be reflective of your children and not the PC expectations of this world. Give us boldness, give us courage, give us grace. Help us, Lord, to represent you. Just in Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody say it.